Hi, welcome to episode four of Holding Unfolding, a podcast about facilitation. Shout out to Sterl, aka Demerol Please, aka Not Demerol Please, aka Pixelated Skies for the new music, and always to Pharaoh for our cover art. I'm Abby Olton. I use she her pronouns. I'm based in East Harlem, an unseated, occupied Lenape lands, and uh, it's kind of chilly and cloudy outside here today, um, even though it's also starting to feel like summer, so that's exciting. Um, this week's interview is with Julia Cordero from Heartwood ALC, and she's a founder, director, facilitator, and a parent, and I'm really excited to share this interview um, for a lot of reasons, but in part because she starts off talking about what her experience has been being a parent and a facilitator. Um, And that is something I get asked about a lot, but something I can't speak to from experience. So this was delightful. Um, We gush a little bit about books. We talk about math. Um, There is a point where Julia will use the word checkpoint and the meeting she's talking about or the group is what we call spawn point in our school here in New York. And essentially it's um, a homeroom. So it's, it's the group that gathers at the beginning and end of the day in a smaller group to reflect and share and connect and do all that stuff. And I had one more note. Oh, no. That is actually my only note for this week. So I hope you enjoy the episode. And thank you in advance for putting up with our choppy audio. We're making the best of it. Um, great. Okay. Hi. Hello. It's so exciting to get to chat with you. Um. Do you want to start by introducing yourself? Give your name, your pronouns, and where where you're at in the world right now? Yes, I am Julia Cordero. My pronouns are she, her, and I am a facilitator at Hartwood Agile Learning Center in Atlanta, Georgia. And you are presently on the road, so the audio will be whatever it'll be. Yes. It'll be great. <laughs> it'll be great. You facilitate at Heartwood ALC. Can you talk a little bit about that space and your role there? Yeah, I was always... Yeah, well, I'm one of the founders and co-directors. So I have been there since the inception. It's been me and Anthony, the other co-director. So we have had the privilege of being part of the formative um, identity of the school. And as I was thinking about this interview today, it's because it has been COVID this year, our, a lot has changed um, in terms of what we do as facilitators. And so I might be switching back and forth between what it looked like last year, what it looks like this year, and what has the potential to look like next year. Uh, because all those are different in terms of what facilitation looks like and what my role is at the school. 
all those look a little bit different. Um, but I do, I'm, I'm five days a week uh, facilitator all day, every day. Um, so I'm with the kids on the ground, so to speak. And you also hold admin roles too, like organizational, like facilitating the organization continuing to exist, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, thanks for bringing up the hard topic. Um, it's it's so hard to balance both of them. So sometimes I try to pretend like I don't. But yes, I'm both Anthony and I are like completely <laughs> essential and like making sure the business keeps running. Literally, probably ten minutes ago, just got off an info session with prospective parents. Um, so yeah, so, it's yeah. it's nonstop as I expect it is for most facilitators and or school directors. Totally. I know that you also facilitate uh, like event stuff and community building in normal times. Yes. Um, do you feel like that's a, a thing you do regularly enough that it's part of your role or is it kind of a when the mood strikes you? I like that you call it regular times. I'm going to refer to it like that in regular times. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think like event building is like part of community building and so much of the identity of Heartwood is based in community. So anytime we can gather in celebration together as a community with students and parents, families um, and, and staff, I think that always feels really, really good and it's so nurturing. So we generally try to keep a lot of events running. We will have an in-person event this year that we're really excited about, which is our five-year birthday is coming up. Um, so Anthony's organizing that one and he's making a scavenger hunt and uh, you do your hunt in your pod in your family pod. Um, so that one should be really fun and it'll be our first attempt at in person this year. But we've had we've had stuff online this year, um, you know, and it has its own like sort of quirky uniqueness that's kind of fun. Uh, and it, it can definitely be really nice to like log off and automatically your home but it's taken a lot more effort. It almost feels like as facilitators and event planners, virtually we are in a position a little bit to be entertaining, you know, making sure the vibe is good online because it's so much harder to read people and you can't depend as much on community members. It's not like you can like, you know, people don't like go off into breakout rooms and talk amongst themselves. So yes, events are totally central to what we do. They're a central part of community building at the school. And our first, you know, I, I'll let you know how it goes after this one. Yeah. And we have some that are like ritualistic, like every year we do a winter dinner. And then we have some that are pop-up. Uh, and Anthony is really like the magician behind the pop-up events. Um, last year he did a Heartwood Awards show um, which was really fun. So everybody came dressed up like they were at an award ceremony. So it was formal dress or you weren't allowed in the building. Um, and then he's worked with kids before to do dances, uh, auctions, um, things like that. So they're definitely like part of the lifeblood of the school. Cool. I, you can't hear me like giggling when you're describing setting dress codes for events um and it's good it's so fun <laughs> that sounds amazing yeah i mean that was really like the students were like if we're gonna really do this 
it's got to be. There were lots of conversations about whether people would actually be admitted in. So the compromise was to get people up. They purchased a few bow ties so that if you came <laughs> not dressed formally, you had to at least form a bow tie. That's amazing. <laughs> Did they, who made the awards? Oh, it was all Anthony. He didn't tell me about any of them. And they were hilarious. Every student got an award for something, but they were all like, they were all just like stuff he made up. Um, what I can only remember my own child right now, of course, which was a, an Imagineer award because he mixes engineering and art together. And so like each kid got an award that was like, you know, based on their personality or their contributions to the school. They were the only people up for the award in their category. So everybody, everybody got an award. I love it. That sounds so much yeah. like so much fun. It was really fun and really like sweet community building. And you mentioned you alluded to the other, you know, I'm gonna ask, I don't know if you relate to parenting as facilitation at all. Um, yeah. and what that experience is, but like also you're a parent. I am. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, this is probably relevant for other people as well. I have two kids and one of them was with me for three years, I think. Yeah. Um, both my kids right now are in a traditional school and, um, to just be like vulnerable about that. There's a few reasons. One is I co-parent, um, with my husband and my husband is a teacher and has worked at the same school for 25 years. And he really wanted for the kids to be at his school for a while. So that was something we had to negotiate in terms of like taking care of our partnership as the best way to have healthy children. Um, so that was a lot of navigating. The one that was with me for three years was really pretty easy in the environment um, and did like our relationship allowed that even in a small space, I rarely saw them throughout the day unless they got hurt. I was the go-to, but my second child, my other child, my oldest child, actually my first child, I, I very specifically did not have with me because the attachment in that relationship is such that I think it would be really hard for them to give me space. There's a lot of anxious attachment happening there. And I just think it'd be really, really hard. And we haven't solved for that yet. You know, like as he gets older, you know, we're hoping that that evens itself out and he would be able to come to Hartwood. But I'm also, you know, I want my kids to have all kinds of different educational experiences as well. And I don't know, we did sort of like a, a day by day. The school they're at right now, we're clear they won't go there past junior high, which is only a year away. So we have decisions to make for sure. Um, but it is, it's, it's really wild being a parent particularly making educational choices for my, for and with um, my young people that are not necessarily aligned with Hartwood. You know, one thing I had to be like super clear about with my youngest who was at Hartwood was this is actually a decision me and your father are making and we're making it because we think it's best for you and you may not like it, but it's what has to happen to take care of our family. And that was hard because that's not the nature of the work I do at Harlem. So yeah, it's, it's a really difficult terrain to navigate when they're either when they're with you or 
when they're somewhere else, like all those are difficult to navigate. When we have info sessions, I often feel like it's like the first thing I should say. And I should say why, because, oh, does it like look bad that like, you know, I found this school and like, oh, but my kids don't go here. Like, oh, I'd never send my kids here um, is what I fear it looks like. Um, so I had to have really clear conversations with the parent community when we choose chose the school that they're at now, which is Mount Hartwood. Um, you know, about why that was uh, and that it wasn't, it wasn't that I don't believe in the philosophy. It's just relationship and parenting is complex. It's like so many different little balancing acts and perspectives. Yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting that you followed up explaining, um, you know, telling your kid, your father and I are, are making this decision based on our family needs and putting that in like contrast to your work at Heartwood. Cause on an individual level, like as a facilitator in a self-directed ed space for young people, it's like, yes, usually in an individual conversation, it's like, okay, young person, like, what do you want and are trying to do? And let's figure that out. But also part of what makes ALCs different from some other forms of unschooling is parallel having that conversation about the network of relationships that we're in. Yeah. Um, and being like, okay, well, where are the places where we need to have freedom within parameters set by like, what does the whole need here? Yeah. Um, I think it was a, what does the whole need? And it was also like a, it's our job as parents. Like it was very, it was difficult for me and it was good to have to sit in those questions, but I very much felt like it was an adult power over moment. And, but that it wasn't, you know, sometimes we think of that as like so horrible and negative. Like it was because we could see what's the most important in this situation is that both of your parents are getting what they need to be in harmony with each other, that that's ultimately the best gift we can give you is compromising with each other. Um, and that's going to be more important for your overall development than what school you're at. Instead Which is like of, a research-backed phenomenon. Like that's, yeah. you know. Yeah. It was hard to surrender to that for sure because I mean, and I guess that is part of the ALC work is like, put the ego aside, put the ego aside, you know? But, and it was hard when my kid was like, why don't I get to decide where I go to school? And just to have to be really explicit, like, because we're the adults, we have more power. And this is a decision that from our position of power and awareness, we are making for our family unit. And he was very upset about it. Um, so, you know, that was, that was hard, but, you know, made for some good family conversations, even if we, you know, who knows what the right answer is, but at least it got us having some conversations about what's really going on. Yeah. Well, and I think the modeling partnership as ongoing check-ins and negotiations mm -hmm. and changes like that is really powerful as something yeah. to offer young, you know, young people and other, just other people generally. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how it evolves on a sort of like similar, but different note is like my oldest child has been in this uh, traditional progressive school for like, I guess this will be his fourth or fifth year. And 
so like I'm sort of hellbent philosophically on I really don't believe that the concept of middle school and junior high is healthy for young people in terms of like you know isolating kids who are going through puberty <laughs> like I really think a mixed age environment is so nourishing during that time period um, and it's sort of the opposite of what we do as a society so I you know here I am with my own philosophy and being like my kid's not going to go to the school after middle school but like at that point he's also going to be 12 years old so I can't necessarily you know at 12 I'm not going to be like you're not allowed to go here because of my philosophy um, so it's sort of like the opposite thing. I'm like so scared that he's going to want to stay. Uh, so I, it's just it's just interesting to navigate it from the opposite perspective too. You know, like I want him to choose to want to be at self-directed at 12. Like any reasonable young person would choose to be at Hartwood, but like that really may not be what he chooses. Yeah. Well, it, it like totally feels an integrity to me to be like, all right, given all of these points, these are the options we're working with. And then like, all right, young person, which which of the available options do you want? And if your kid is like, I want to be at the big high school with a homecoming game or whatever, like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't be SDE to be like, no. I know. That's what's so funny about it. That I appreciate too because sometimes people will ask me when they're starting ALCs they're like can you be a facilitator and a parent can you have parents facilitate and um the like and they want a blanket answer they want a universal yes or no yeah I mean I can say as an example I opened a daycare when my first child was young 18 months um and it was horrible, because, like I said, because of the particular style of attachment that isn't that is in our relationship. It was impossible for me to do my job because the need he had for me to to really be like giving him undivided attention was so strong. And when he didn't get it, you know, it would be like quote unquote temper tantrums, or like you know, there would be this sort of like a behavioral reaction. And so it was, it was really impossible. It was, I ended up leaving that daycare actually because I had um, adopted a second child shortly after that surprise. It was a surprise adoption. If you've ever heard of such a thing, it happens. So uh, yeah, it, w- it wouldn't have worked with a much more calm attachment that it worked with. And there were still hard parts for sure, but I felt like we could navigate them, you know, with communication and clarification of boundaries. And Anthony was very helpful at like keeping boundaries so yeah it is like you're saying it's really not a blanket answer it it depends on a whole lot of factors yeah well and the ability to hold space for the answer to change as you know among your kids and as you're all at different stages in your relationships it's like it's a super complex thing to navigate Mm -hmm. did you and Anthony have conversations to like arrange boundaries or about ways he could help you while you were parenting and facilitating? I'm thinking about my first kind of SDE space experience. There was a day where a parent who had his kids there was like, pulled me aside the first day kind of thing and was like, here's what's up and here's what I need from you when there's a conflict or when they get hurt or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, I would say it was, it was pretty much the same thing. Um, 
I tried to stay checked in a lot with Anthony. Yes, definitely. We had those kinds of explicit, Anthony and I had those explicit conversations. My child and I had those explicit conversations that Anthony's the person you go to. Um, that should really be your default person while you're here. Um, and I tried to do a lot of checking in too, for fear of, because I had that experience with my first child at the daycare, you know, I think I was hypersensitive to it, you know, so I was trying to stay checked in as well with Anthony, like, are there places that I'm crossing boundaries, you know, that I'm, you know, being unfair. Um, I also think I have a natural ability to be you know, I'm not a parent who lets my kid get away with stuff in that situation. I'm almost like harder on my kid. So I sort of do the opposite of what people fear, but like to a fault, you know, there were times when I really had to have that conversation with my son where I was like, listen, this is, this is a place I go to, you know, if you're doing something that's out of bounds, like I'm more inclined to like actually be rude to you. And I'm, I'm sorry for that. And, you know, trying to kind of explain that and navigate that. So I think it was a lot of conversations with, with both Anthony and with my child. Were there um, things, specific things that Anthony did that were helpful for you or that you did for yourself that were really helpful for you? Yeah, I mean, definitely figuring out with my own kid, There, I really just had to have a really firm boundary with my own child there wasn't you know whereas like with another child I might like sort of quote unquote like talk it out um with my own child I had to really be like and you've hit the boundary and now we're done um that was really important for me to figure out so for instance my son was in my checkpoint for a while and I sort of tried at first, it was like, like really not working. Like he would disengage, you know, or he would like walk away in the middle of the checkpoint. Like he would do things that were just like, you know, he's a kid who picks up social cues easily. So it wasn't that he was just, I mean, I think it's just testing his boundaries, like in his mom, you know, and he's like, Oh, what can I do? You know, which is like really natural part of development that other young people in the checkpoint, they don't have that need with me. Um, because I'm not their parent. So I think, you know, like what I, what I ultimately said was like, you can't be in my checkpoint anymore. Like this is not working. And so I think being able to find that kind of a firm boundary with him and realizing I have to get to that quicker because there's something else going on in the dynamic, you know, another kid, I might be like, do they not pick up social cues? Do they not understand what I say? You know, um, you know, should I check in with their parent and see if like, is there some, is it hard for them to write? And so like, they're resistant to that. Is there someone in the group that they're struggling with? Um, I just had to learn to be like a lot quicker in that process with my own kid to really say like, you can't, we can't do this like mother child dynamic here. That's not what school's for. We can do that all day at home, but when we're at school, this is the boundary. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for saying that. I hadn't, I hadn't actually thought about that. And I will say too, you know, there were, there were, it was so wild because there were times when, because Anthony was his go-to as a parent, there were times when I didn't like the way Anthony was responding. And it was so hard to just figure out like when to shut up and when to speak up. Being that I have like unlimited access to Anthony, like another parent wouldn't have that, you know? And like, was it a really big deal? Or like, was it just really important for my son to have a relationship with Anthony and they have their own dynamic and that's okay? 
that was like really excruciating for sure. Probably one of the hardest parts. Does that make sense? That perspective? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's not a thing that I would have thought to ask about, but as soon as you say that, I'm like, oh, I've definitely like co-facilitated with a parent and either like sometimes it's that I'm circling up with them afterwards asking about and maybe gently coaching them on uh navigating a situation um and they're all which is a whole thing as a non-parent to be like where do I speak up and where where is that not my place um and also it's definitely been the opposite where they're like oh you're dynamic with my kid and it's either um, you know, some, my expectations are different or <laughs> I'm letting them climb too high in the tree. We have different right. feelings about whether you need a helmet when you're ice skating, that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. Um, and just the complexity of in a society that kind of worships a narrow version of a nuclear family less and less, but still, so, um, so. yeah, we, sometimes it was like parents not being sure what their kids dynamic with me was and being like are you you know you're allo parenting and I don't know that I like that I want my kid to call me so it's like yes also those emotional components yeah and mine was like and I'm sure that like race and gender are involved in this too for sure but mine was a lot of times was about when my child was irritated at something Anthony did because they're sensitive in certain ways. And either Anthony wasn't reading that sensitivity. I mean, of course, like I can read my child backwards and forwards. Um, Not that I'll always be able to, but like at a younger age, you know, as a parent, it's easier to do that. And what if that had to do also with like white womanness around like just being very protective of his like emotional state, you know, and then feeling like Anthony would do things to agitate his personal state, his emotional state. Um, and knowing that my son's going to have a certain reaction to that, watching it happen, having my son want to talk about it later and just trying to figure out like, how do I, you know, similar to what you're saying of like, how do I empower this relationship that he has with Anthony, because it has its own dynamics. And Anthony is not necessarily the person that can read every like gesture on your face and know what emotion it corresponds to. And that's okay. He, he, we wouldn't expect him to do that. That's not because that's not the nature of your relationship with him. So, um, you know, and then how does that, how does that fall into, how does that relate to gender too? You know, of, them both having identity around being boys and what does it mean to be emotional um, or not emotional or not read each other's emotions. Um, my son is mixed and Anthony's black. Like are, are there racial, like cultural pieces going on there that I'm trying to interrupt with like what I think is right because I'm like a white woman mommy, you know, like that's not the right way to respond. My kid is very upset now. Can't you tell? You're not doing the right thing. You've upset my child now. So I hadn't really dug into it until you just asked the question, but looking back, all those kinds of dynamics were coming up Um, and they were hard. I mean, I'm thankful that like, I did know 
I, that I had some awareness around it, you know, and that I had to learn to say to my kid, like, if you're really upset about this, it sounds like something you need to bring up with Anthony. If you don't feel like you can bring it up with Anthony, but you want to, like, I'm happy to support you in that, but I'm not going to like, you know, make another adult out to be a bad guy with you. I'm not going to, you know, there was a like wanting to be joined and like, didn't, didn't Anthony do something that I didn't like? And isn't that bad? And, you know, you should fix this for me. And just like learning how to just back away and be like, buddy means relationship. So that was, that was hard and good, you know, and great, great growth. Yeah. I Thanks. That's so real. What are you facilitating? You guys have been online and in person. And I heard like sharing the space on like a schedule. Is that yeah, right? we, yeah, we've done a lot of iterations this year. I think we're probably at our final one for this year. So right now what that looks like is we have split into pods and the pods are generally split by ages. Um, and we, Anthony has a pod. I have a pod. We used to, we used to switch back and forth. We no longer do that. So for right now, for the first time, I have young people that are generally nine and below. So I have the younger kids like exclusively, um, which is fun, but also like, you know, I really miss like everybody being together or having a mixed age group. I mean, I guess, you know, compared to traditional school, it probably is mixed age to have five and nine year olds together, but you know, for like an ALC or self-directed environment, the range is five to 18. So, um, so that's what we're doing right now. Earlier, earlier in the year, we were, we were exclusively online and then we switched to like some days in person. Um, and we would switch between groups, Anthony and I, and then the pods kind of switched, you know, again, it's just been like iteration after iteration that's based on, um, you know, what's coming out from the CDC, which is who we decided to follow as our guide and also what's okay, you know, what feels safe to our parents, you know, and developing a community of trust in each other's behaviors outside of school um, and you know, taking care of each other. So anyway, the current iteration, two days a week, we split the school in half. And that is because our pods, it's part, partly to keep our pods small, we have 10 kids. And also because Anthony and I, Anthony's group and Anthony and me and COVID. So we don't mix those two together. Um, I think I got, so you share the space two days a week mostly to facilitate being able to keep the groups small and not mix them. Did I get that right? You got it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, and you go to a nature preserve on Fridays? Is that what you said? Yes. It's so fun for me. Um, it's fun for the kids too. Uh, but yeah, so it's like a, we just do all day outdoors on that day and then we have access to a bathroom and we have like a wagon with all our supplies in it we have like we hang up swings and play in the creek and it's it's large enough like that that I feel like it offers enough opportunity to do all kinds of different things Mm -hmm. even though we go every Friday and and it's really fun I'll say this is like one of the bizarre uh advantages of COVID is that it pushed us outside and so it's really fun to watch the springtime happen um, and catch tadpoles and watch them grow and watch the color of the leaves change and the different flowers that bloom that I don't, you know, we certainly weren't as attuned to last year. Yeah, I, that resonates. It's funny, yeah. I mean, like, um, 
my logs from right before COVID hit here. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like looking back on my notes when we hit the one year mark and um, was reading some of the older stuff because I was trying to track when it started being like part of my awareness as something in the world to be tracking, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a whole thing that I had written in like mid-February about being frustrated by being overwhelmed with paperwork and being like, what would really fix this for me and make it feel bearable would be if I had a couple days a week all outside, like doing outdoor education mm-hmm. um, and just outside play. Um, yeah. Education for outdoor ed for me in New York City is a lot of like working with city folks of all ages um, on their idea that the city and nature are like separate, you know, in separate mm-hmm. spheres. Um, so yeah and I was our winter outdoor person this year and got <laughs> all the outdoor days and it was chilly and amazing yes same I I had I had like it was hard for sure but and there were days when we the other thing is because I have I, I'm particularly risk averse because my husband is high risk so even when we were at school I was outside most of the time. And the other thing I didn't say, which I think is like actually really important to my facilitation this year is that I'm able to bring my dog with me to school. And while that sounds silly, it really changes the dynamic because I'm with younger kids who want to pet the dog all the time. And so they literally like follow me everywhere. Like the young people are so in my personal space all the time because of the dog and because the dog is near me. And um, so with when I was facilitating with the older kids I would be outside most of the time but a lot of the older kids were like forget it I'm not going out it's freezing you know are you kidding but the young kids were outside with me all day you know when it was below freezing um and there were some days that were really beautiful when it was like let's build a fire and stay warm and let's like walk to the store and get graham crackers and, and marshmallows and hot chocolate and then you know five days of that and we're like now we're tired of s'mores and it's really cool you know there were some days when it was like we're just trying to survive today Um, and while that was at the time felt debilitating, you know, like, what are we doing here? If we're just trying to survive until we get home, it also is exhilarating to look back on and be like, yeah, we did that, you know, because it's just, it was what had to be done. Yeah. I, my like small bag of fire starting supplies was one of the, you know, I think my, my top investments for outdoor winter time this year were like a giant thermos for water so that I could bring hot chocolate packets and hot water mm-hmm. um a fire starting kit for the days we were gonna go make fires um enough hand warmers and spare gloves that I could distribute them you know to all the young people when theirs were wet um and a soccer ball weirdly (laughs) ours was like a lot of days walking to you know it is weird when it's like it slowed everything down so much so Mm -hmm. to keep ourselves warm we would walk to the store to get firewood like firewood was probably what we spent the most money on this year 
but there was something about walking to the store to get it, but also the place we could walk to had firewood that really wasn't very dry. So then it would be like trying to figure out what to do with firewood that wasn't very dry. Like there was just all of this, you know, I guess it was like one of those rich facilitated learning moments that was part of it was just by the force of what it was. But it was like just how to make a fire that would like burn and keep you warm. And it was like day after day of like, you're walking to the store again. Um, you know, here we are. And, you know, the protocol of like, okay, we can be in there for, has, we have to be in and out in 15 minutes, like putting timers on and like, we did it, you know, did you get the hot chocolate? Oh no, we forgot that. And it was just like day after day of that. There was something, I guess, really beautiful about slowing down to that level. Like we, we didn't, we didn't even get to offerings, you know, there weren't like offerings in those times. It was just like, how are we going to do this day and how are we going to enjoy it together? Because this is what we have. Yeah. So I think there were times, it's actually nice to look back on it that way because there were times when that was really felt demoralizing, but looking back, realizing just the power of like, just slowing down, you know? Yeah. Did, um... I guess if you just switched groups, I, I don't know. Like I've noticed changes in um, what the kids will interrupt a group conversation to like, you know, point out a centipede. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, there's, oh, yeah. there's little things that have changed yes. as their awareness has moved. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sweetness that I I think that, I mean, I think it's beneficial just from literally like a vitamin D perspective for all of us um, to be outside, but that when we have the option to be inside, you know, back in, I think you called them regular times, we just wouldn't have chosen to be outside that much. And how, I don't know, just like how, how nice that is to, to, you know, exactly what you're saying, be noticing things. You know, we walk to do, we do volunteer work with the young kids every Tuesday and they walk and, um, and there's a, um, a little altar there that you can put flowers in and they pick flowers on the way to the walk every week. And so that like every week they're watching what are the new flowers, you know, it's like clovers and then there's these purple ones. And then it's like, they're freaking out like, oh my God, there's this new one. Did you see this new one? You know, and then they're dandelions and then, um, yeah, that, that kind of thing just wasn't happening in the same way in normal times. Yeah. Well, that's so cool. Are yeah. you, did you have like, did you come into this year being able to like name all the little seasonal flowers or has that been a, a growth edge for you? I don't, I have had that experience before, but what I have never done before, like the huge growth thing for me is I have consistently my entire life and Anthony knows this too. So he was like, it was really weird for him to watch it. I'm always cold. I don't like when it is cold outside, like if, if it's August, I'm so happy. Like I like to be extremely hot and sweating, but I don't like to be cold. And so the fact that I would be outside all day, every day when it's below freezing, that was, that was extreme growth for me. And the sort of like hilarious byproduct of that, speaking of vitamin D is I didn't have seasonal affective disorder at all this year. 
because you know I was outside for six and a half hours every day, even though it was freezing. So that was a huge growth for me to know that I could survive it. And I think it was one of those adult things that you can do where it was like, well, this is what needs to happen. So it doesn't really matter what my concerns are. And so I just like set that the fear of being cold had to just be set aside. That's not a thing I knew about you and makes it all the more impressive. Cool. Like, congratulations. And thank you. Ashley, thank you. It was like a huge, huge deal. Yeah. It was like, I had to just pretend like it wasn't, oh, this is not who I've been for 44 years. I just, yeah, I'm outside. It's cool. (laughs) Fake it till you make it. (laughs) yeah I mean did you like have a day where you woke up and was like oh this is what I do now this is I think I just made myself say that every day (laughs) like it was just this is this is what I do yeah yeah we'll see ask me ask me next year (laughs) yeah you know did it become part of my identity or was it just something that had to adapt I don't know yeah I'm also thinking about next year, but as somebody who does like the cold, um, you know, some of my favorite days we were out this winter were when we had lots and lots of snow and had snowball fights. Um, and I'm definitely like, once the kids don't have to be outside, are they going to choose to be outside with me? And like, you know, of course it's their prerogative to prefer to be, you know, cozy inside. Um, but I, I notice myself really hoping that some of them will want to do outdoor days. I have that feeling too. And I wonder, I'm glad you brought that up because I also have the feeling of feels like a slippery slope in terms of being a facilitator because I have that like agenda almost around like, Oh, I hope they'll be outside because it's like so good for them. Um, you know, and just like really having questions about like, ah, where does that, where do I draw that line? Or where do I, I don't know, it just brings up questions about like, what if they choose to stay inside all day, you know? Um, You know, of course, like, it'll be okay, because that's what they choose. But how will I maneuver through my own thinking of like, well, that's not as healthy. Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) for sure. But I will say again, like, if you want them to come outside with you, you should get a dog. It's quite stunning. <laughs> it is really, really stunning. I believe it. My apartment, but only the younger no ones. Apartment. <laughs> so. What'd you say? My apartment is a no pets building. Mm. Um, but I have witnessed the magic where, that where dogs are. and children are together. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, it's funny because I don't feel. I don't want them to come outside like for their own good. I like mm-hmm. value um, a lot the things that they're doing when they're inside together, including the stuff that makes other adults nervous, like when they're spending all day at a screen or reading or whatever. Um, yes. Yeah, like I value that more than I'm going to gush about right now. Um, I want them to want to go outside because I want it for me. Mm, and it's if, a nice place to be centered from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, this is, if they also want that, then I get to share that with them and don't have to figure out 
where to carve hours in my schedule, like, you know, where do I have non-school time then to go fill that need for myself? Yeah. Um, yeah. And we'll see, we'll see. Yeah. Are there, because you're doing online offerings too, you said, right? Yeah. Online offerings with the online only crew, which is only five of them. And that's morphed through the year. It used to be even in-person students were doing the online classes, but they've really stopped doing that. It's become so fascinating because it's organized around offerings instead of offerings being something that's splattered in the day. It's like the whole day is organized around offerings for the online community. And the advantage of that is the level of focus that they bring to offerings and the level of like desire of like really wanting to extract something from an offering is really different. So like I'm seeing these kids, like they want to know, you know, they want to do like traditional math or they want to do writing. Um, you know, they want to get better at writing or they want to get better at person. First of it's like these things that I think when they're in the in-person environment, they have these pursuits, but there's also the distractibility of just the environment and what's happening around them. And it dilutes it. And so it's just like this undiluted pursuit from a lot of the online students that I have to say is really fun as a facilitator. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. It's a crap ton of prep work to be online, to do, you know, to facilitate online requires a lot more in person, oftentimes I feel like I can just show up. Um, online requires that I be prepared in a different kind of way. Um, but I have grown to really like that it brings out that kind of focus in the young people. And I look forward to when we're in person, being able to use that as a reference point. Like, hey, let's look back at this time. You know, Did it feel better to you when you were more focused like this? Which I'm pretty sure they're gonna say, yeah because they have in the past when we were in person really struggled with having pursuits, but feeling distracted. And so like having them have that reference point and being able to say like, okay, so what do we need to do so that you get what you need from this environment? And I, I, I guess I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to, we'll see, maybe that won't happen at all, but I just feel like it gives them something, some Velcro to look back at and be like, I want a little more of that. So I'm excited for it now and excited for what, you know, how that might become useful as a reflective, reflective information in the future. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be like, without the desire to go be immersed in their social relationships and working on like those skills and stuff, or the mm -hmm. like, oops, I, I was going to come to this offering that I proposed, but also now there's a park trip where oh, I realized yeah. I need to go to the deli. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm curious and excited to circle up with the kids when we're back in some kind of synchronous thing and be like, all right, what, are, you know, what do we want to keep? What did we learn? Yeah. Yeah. And I think like when the environment itself is so distracting, which Anthony and I struggle with that a lot, which, you know, some of that is just like societal and the times we're in and the age we're in and what it looks like to be an SDE right now. Um, but some of that, you know, I think is our personalities as well, but what I think 
many of the young people haven't had is again, just that reference point of like, does it, does this feel good to you to be this focused? Because they've had in their head, like, oh, I want to be focused on that, but I don't know if they've had the reference point of, oh, that feel that feels good. I, I, I want to be focused on that, not just in principle, but because I've had that experience before and I like the way that made me feel. Yeah. Uh, what what are you facilitating online? What are these offerings? Well, I have two kids um, who are doing writing and they're at different levels. And so they're uh, mostly we're focused on like five paragraph essays, um, but not necessarily in the, we're focused on that like as a form of structure, but not necessarily structure for like a research style paper, but really for a structure of any um, any kind of writing, just using that, the idea that like, make your point, three pieces of evidence, wrap it up. Um, and that's been really fun. One of them is a really proficient writer, but has had a lot of anxiety about it. Um, and the other one doesn't have a lot of experience writing, but has a real natural voice. So it's been really fun for, for, for all of us. And they have committed to writing a paragraph a day, which I find excruciating but they've been doing it for like two months. And I'm like, if you, if that's what you want, go for it, you know, like fully support you totally will be your accountability person. Um, another is a group that has been learning about math, um, which are just like the basic for addition, subtraction, multiplication and division. And, um, those have been fun around. It's been such a blast for me because I learned for instance, like traditional column edition, but I've become like super obsessed with finding math videos of different ways to do like the basic four. Because of course, like growing up, I thought that was like the only way to do it was like traditional column edition, for instance. And like learning, oh my God, there's like 500 way different ways. It's not 500. That was a math exaggeration. There are several different ways, you know, based on culture and based on your upbringing to add something. Um, and the traditional method is one way, and that may be the one that works for your brain and it may not. And here's this other way. And that's been really, really fun to explore with them. Uh, and fun for me to sort of, I guess, decolonize that. Um, so I have had so much fun with math, uh, with them. And that's a group of five of them that, that do math in some form or another. Some of them are doing more like high school math, geometry, algebra, and others are doing the basic four. Um, what else is online? Audiobook club, we listen to audiobooks together. Um, sex ed is online. I do that one online so the online students and then the in-person students do come to that. Like if they signed up for sex ed at the beginning of the year, they're required to come. Uh, Lit club has been like the longest offering ever. It's been going on for four years. And uh, that is... Audiobook club is really just listening to a book together. Lit club is reading the book and then, you know, coming back and like discussing different parts of it, different themes and such. Um, so I, wait, I have to ask, like, what are yeah, you yeah. reading? Okay. So <laughs> I'm going to tell you some of our favorites. We've been reading for so long. Um, one thing that I, that I think is important to know is I started this lit club four years ago and I started with the very clear boundary of, I will choose the books which I realized doesn't sound very SDE, but I was like, listen, if you want, if you want to make your own book club, like I'm happy to join it and you can choose the books. But in this book club, I wrote it 
I mean, I created it specifically for myself. I wanted to exclusively read authors of color and I wanted to be sure that that was going into my brain um, because the default for me was otherwise at that time. And so I wanted to change it to default. Several students said they wanted to join and they just keep coming and it's been going on for four years. So we're exclusively reading authors of color and have been for four years. And it's, um, I would say we go in between genres, like it's definitely all narrative. We've never done a memoir and we've never done a um, nonfiction. Yeah, sorry, it's the double negative gets me there. We've never done a nonfiction book. Um, but that being said, some of the ones that they have loved the most are Felix Ever After we read this year. Sometimes we'll like read a book that is so good and then everything that comes after that, we're like, mur, mur. so Felix Ever After was one of those. Um, Poet X was definitely one of those. There's one we read that I loved so much that they liked okay. Uh, these are all still in the YA genre. We've been in YA for a year and a half or so, which is Juliet Takes a Breath. Um, I think they didn't love it as much because, I mean, I think the reason I loved it was because it was a college age. It was a coming of age, but it was in college instead of high school. And it was also, she was coming up in a time that I was kind of in that same I was also coming up you know so I was like oh my god I know the musician she's talking about <laughs> yeah that's so cool um right now we're reading children of blood and bone oh uh, so good oh my god I kept I mean I knew it was good and I kept like putting it off but I'm kind of glad I did because it like actually really shocked me and I appreciated being shocked by how intense it gets you know it starts off like you're just in an action adventure and then it's like oh, all the organs in your body are going to respond to this, not just like your cognitive brain. Um, and I heard, I heard Mel talking about the um, N.K. Jemisin Broken Earth. Is it Broken Earth trilogy? Yes. That one's Broken awesome Earth, yeah. Name. We've been trying to get our hands on that for years, but the public libraries like never got the first book in stock. It's like always out. So I'm hoping after we finish this that maybe finally enough years have passed since it's come out that the public library will have it in stock. Those are some, those are the, the ones in the, in the YA genre that we've been at. Previous to that, we read like Purple Hibiscus and now I'm blank. Purple Hibiscus was, wow. I don't read a lot of fiction. I, oh, Every once in a um, while. Cause, because you asked this earlier, I'll go ahead and say, and I tell them this all the time. I literally never read like, probably from so when I was 13 my mom says when I was young that I I read proficiently like second and third grade you know quote unquote above reading level really into it and then I just stopped and my mom was an English teacher so she was like on it and couldn't couldn't figure out why I wouldn't read you know there what didn't appear to be like learning issues it was just like what she was like was not interested she got me this horrible series in um when I was young to try to get me to read it was just so, the story was so traumatic. You know, a lot of these YA novels like love to like dose on some extra trauma and apocalyptic trauma and horror and everybody's killing everybody. And this was just horrible. So I read it, I read it fast and then literally haven't touched a fiction book until I started this book club four years ago. So that's like 25 years later. So I am thankful to the young people all the time because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be reading fiction if it weren't for them and what a gift it's been in my life, just in terms of being a facilitator and like the ways in which we grow alongside them. 
Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. How did you decide on, did they decide fiction? You said you picked, you were picking the books. It started because, like I said, my mom was an English teacher. It started, this is funny. It started my first year at Harwood. Um, maybe it was the second year. It might have been the second year. My mom was a junior high English teacher forever. I don't know how many years, more than I can count to. And, uh, and I, because I was a new facilitator, I was like, what? you know, when you're like fresh and you're like, what offering is going to make, what will people be interested in? Let me try this. Let me try that. You know? And I was like, really wanted to be overprepared. So like, I was like, you know, what, what do young people at that age read? I don't even know, you know? And so she sent me stuff and then she sent me like all her curriculum to go with it. And like I read through all the curriculum because I was going to be like, so prepared. Like this was not going to be a book club. This was going to be like a real class with real lessons. And, um, and that's kind of how it started. So she just gave me several books that were interesting to young people at that age and what, you know, what different things she did with people in the classroom, with the young people in the classroom to, you know, kind of bring out the learning in those books. And, um, and it was very scary to me, the first book that I chose, I don't even remember what it was now, that wasn't what she recommended that had an accompanying curriculum. Um, because I sort of like almost didn't know my place if I wasn't the one who was like really like leading the literature discussion. Um, and I didn't know the difference between like literature and YA and there's just like a lot I didn't know. So it started out that way. And what kept it going was just like the kids just wanted more, you know, the young people just like wanted more and more. And when we found in YA, like, again, I had never, I didn't read for so many years. So I didn't even know that genre. I was definitely like, oh my God, who made up this genre? And they were all like, okay, you idiot. Like, this is this is kind of like a genre that's been around before you started reading two years ago. Um, and those have been really, really fun to read with them. I think my mom was who put us onto Purple Hibiscus. The stuff we were reading previous to that was almost like intro stuff. And Purple Hibiscus was meant to be the culmination um, the culmination of the stuff we had been reading in terms of like, it was, you know, she had it like advancing in difficulty and depth. So that's how that started. Cool. And now we just read books. I do get these things. I do appreciate getting these things called lit charts, which I can get on most books unless they're rather new. And that just gives me like a kind of quick guide to themes and it helps our discussions get deeper a little quicker. Um, but that's all I do to prepare now. Sometimes I try not to read the lit chart stuff because, you know, there's spoilers and I kind of want to be on the journey with the kids. I very much like when you hit a heavy plot point and like texting them all like, oh my God, <laughs> yes. have you read page 194. <laughs> um, but I do, I do find the lit charts help like, because they just have like chapter by chapter discussion questions or like quotes we can kind of dig into that help frame out our time together. So we don't like. I don't know, start talking about what flavor lollipop we think is best. And then all of a sudden the club's over. Yeah. You said you started picking books beyond the ones that your mom had like recommended and prepped. Are the kids recommending them now? Or like, where are you finding your ideas and suggestions? I dig pretty hard and I try to get like five or six at a time. I talk to the librarian at our local public library quite a bit. 
Awesome. And I make a list of things and I'll go to Amazon and read reviews and then I'll go to Goodreads and read reviews. And then I'll go to like, if you like this book, you may like this book. Um, and I try to keep it topical to like what they're, what they're interested in, uh, you know, or what I think might be of interest to them. Um, the reason I just don't open it up to them is it gets a little chaotic. Um, and I know that there's no one, I mean, every now and then I'll take a suggestion into like, you know, my research process. Um, but I also know that nobody's going to dive as deep as I'm willing to dive to make sure it's a read that feels worth the time that we put in. Um, I'm sorry, I should say the time that I put in, you know, like I'm like, I love reading. I want to read great books all the time. I will research for eight hours to make sure of the 300 books that were published this year, that of the 10 of them that were by African American authors, of the five of them that were by women, women of color, um, not not necessarily African American, but women of color, which one is, you know, like I'll just go in heavy like that. Um, but I think it's more about me, you know, like I've said to them over and over. And sometimes I'll say, like, hey, here's the three I'm thinking about, like what what seems the best, or I'll pick a book that's like you know, we've been doing books about, um, trans identity. And then we did a book about asexuality. Um, if those are topics that are coming up and, and so I'll be like, this is about this or that is about that. You know, what do you think would be the next best one for us to read given these titles and these parameters? So I don't know. Sometimes I feel like, you know, oh, am I doing it wrong? You know, should I be like letting them have more say? And then I'm also like, it's what I want. It's what I said at the beginning and it's been going for four years. So it must be working. Nobody's like giving out. They're all like, what are we reading next? What are we reading next? Yeah. Well, and I think there, I mean, if you opened with, this is how I'm doing my book club and I'll support you in starting your own if you feel inspired to. Yeah. You know, there, there's groups where, where like saying that wouldn't be wouldn't work but it's like you know your group and if they're like actually what we want is to enjoy reading books and not have to do the like filtering curation labor we want to just like bask in your curation like that is valid I think and I'm that's my guess of what what is why they're just like what's next what's next so they're like I know she's gonna put in the research I don't know maybe maybe in four years from now I'll be like oh tired of reading then I'll hand it over to someone else but it's so new for me you know because I never did this before yeah Uh, to so a little bit changing course but you mentioned your mom yes and my not my first visit to Heartwood my second visit to Heartwood was for the racial justice summit that you all put together and hosted and that you facilitated you plural collective of the limitations of English. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I remember talking to you about one of the exercises and you were like, oh yeah, my mom facilitates these trainings, like anti-bias consciousness raising trainings. And here's some of the exercises I've learned from her. Um, And I'm wondering about, I mean, other facilitation tips and tricks from your mom, but also generally experiences, like what your experiences have been being in facilitated spaces. 
and how that's influenced your practice? This is like making me giggle. Um, so <laughs> Anthony and I have, I don't know if it's a bad habit or a good habit. I don't know, but it's a habit. Um, a lot of the facilitated places, a lot of the facilitated place, spaces that I have been in have been with Anthony. And we like go into critique mode together. Um, you know, but it's private, it's with each other. But and I think it's just like we're processing how sometimes you have to process what you don't want to do to get to what you do want to do or what didn't work. So, you know, certainly like having a co-facilitator is, you know, Anthony and I's relationship is really formative. So I think how we both facilitate because we can process with each other so much. Um, and I think we also both pick up very different things from the facilitated spaces that we've been in. Um, very different things speak to us. And I think being able to process those out loud together is really, really helpful in terms of crafting what works for us and what doesn't. Um, what has informed that? I mean, definitely my mom, for sure. Um, yeah, I guess that is a really hard question to answer because it, because it feels like it's coming from so many different places. Um, so... I can answer that like many, I mean, from the time I was 15, I think I knew that I connected with young people in a way that other people around me weren't. Um, part of that is from having siblings that are so much younger and being in caretaking roles. Um, but it was more than caretaking. Um, it was like young kids really liked me. And so though I tried to pursue other things, um, I did video editing for a while and I, I didn't even remember all the other stuff as auto mechanic. Like I just kept coming back to working with young people. Um, and I also noticed that I do well with young people across a range of ages. Like I noticed that that was different than other people around me that might be like, oh, I'm really good with young kids. Um, that I seemed to be able to connect with young people across the spectrum generally. Um, and so I think everything else was kind of built around that. I'm sure some of that I got from my mom. Um, I also think, uh, the high school that I went to, I could give a lot of credit to, um, because I went back to that high school. It was a, actually a K through 12 school. I just went there for high school, but I went back there as a teacher and, um, just, got a lot of yeses about trying some different things. I ended up running an after-school program there. I ended up running um, like a video education program and working in different classrooms. Um, so I think there was a lot of like splashing around. What I could say about facilitation now is, I guess the best way for me to phrase it right now is, I know I'm facilitating well when it feels it's like a um it's almost like a meditative state um it's like I when I I mean not that like like preparation is definitely required for sure but when I can step back a little bit and allow that is a really specific feeling in my body um and that is when I know I'm like hitting my smile own sweet spot um 
And that happened the, like, I could, you know, there's moments when I like, I really feel it and it happens. It happened the other day when I was with this, um, <laughs> she's six years old and she's giving me math questions and she'll like write down on a piece of paper, like two plus two. And I'll be like four. And she's like, how did you know that? <laughs> and then, you know, like, she's like, can't believe that I know these things, but she's clearly like, she's playing with numbers. You know, I really like math too. Um, and so I'm, I was really attracted to that. So I, I got out this, um, this thing for her, uh, that's like a, where you write down like one, one to a hundred basically. And one of the reasons I like it, it's a, a number scroll. It's like, it's, it's, um, it, it makes, um, base 10 really clear because every line is 10 you know and then you can like watch the patterns and there's all the patterns of the number and so I got that out for her because I thought she'd really like it and you know the idea of it is you write down from one to a hundred you know and if you're like in a teaching in, in the context of teaching you know then you're like making sure not just that the numbers are the right numbers but that they're facing forward and that they're legible and you know there's all those things about like what the number scroll supposed to look like but it was this moment of like you know her getting to like number 11 and then us finding an ant crawling across the ground together because we were kind of like, you know, close to each other on the ground. You know, she's writing the 11 and, and it was just like following that, like there was like a deep breath of like getting to the number 12 is absolutely not what's important right now. And it's not how to nurture her love of numbers. It's how to squash it. And it was just like, being with her watching the ant and then watching her her brain come back to oh now I want to write number 12 um and really being able to feel the difference between teaching and facilitation in that moment I don't know if the story translates what it felt like in my body but it was like a tightening when I was like oh put the number 12 and then a relax into oh the ant and then a like huh look at that I guess she wanted to come back to number 12 when she was done with that That's really beautiful. Did it translate well? Yeah, my facilitation, and I, I don't know if this is true across the board, and it although it sounds like it so far for a bunch of people, it is that like very zen presence mm -hmm. and, yeah. you know, being in the not knowing and just a, oh, that yeah. too. Ah, yes, that too, lightly, even when, whether it's a pleasant, you know, surprise uh, or yeah. something that's hard, you know. Yeah, presence, that's a good one. I love, I'm so pleased that you're doing math stuff. I like, God, I, I think love it's, math. yeah, well, and it's like such an injustice the way conventional schooling I is like, know, here is math, so mad. this like narrow, shallow punishment and just like, it's, I know I find it to just be like the most like I just uh, so awe-inspired by the patterning of math like look at these amazing patterns look you can do it this way and it still works you can like play with it this way you can understand the pattern by doing this or you could try it this way or like it's just you know it's like deconstructing a pattern or trying to extrapolate on a pattern yeah it's so fun for my brain yeah, I was like, there's this fascinating, satisfying realm satisfying. and somehow we've turned it into like worksheets and drudgery as our like default yes. system. And I was like, this is this is not fair to anyone, including that, you know, 
whole realm itself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I said a little bit of this earlier, but I'll go into a little bit more details. Um, I've been learning about what's called Vedic math, which I'm still like trying to wrap my brain around. Um, it has to do with the Vedic scrolls and there's some, uh, what's the word? Like, I can't tell if it's like mythology around it or like different. Some people think the Vedic scrolls are real. Some people think they're fabricated. Anyways, outside of that, I mean, I think it's really important to understand the culture um, that it comes from. Um, but what was so interesting to me is that <laughs> most of the Vedic math tricks run left to right instead of right to left. And that was really mind blowing for me, particularly culturally, you know, because, you know, I say, tr I say like the traditional method, well, like apparently I'm talking about the traditional US method without even realizing it. Um, but just like how mind blowing it was like, oh my God, you could run an equation left to right. You don't have to start with the one space. There's something about that that was like, why did why did someone try to tell me this fit in a tiny box yeah, and that this that was like the one way and the one thing um and that it's not like a rich pattern of being that different cultures deconstruct in different ways because we all seek to understand these these patterns of the world and how can we extrapolate them to like build our civilizations yeah. i got a little deep there <laughs> no, I love it. well not like being whenever you catch yourself learning to read again you know as yeah. as an adult being like totally back in that beginner and being like wait what it's a whole oh, there's a whole you know and then you're like looking I'm projecting a little bit but then you're like oh what other ways of doing this are there that I hadn't considered like definitely um Sweet. Uh, is there anything that you were hoping I would ask and I didn't? I don't think so. No, I think I was, I was happy to go wherever it went. So. Um, well, thank you so much. This has yeah. been a delight. Same here. It's always such a gift to get to talk to you.